Blog Talk Radio. Terminal fans, welcome to the show here on another Sunday afternoon, the first Sunday of the month of May for 2021. Real quick, I want to make mention, if you're looking for some wrestling and you're in the Indiana area, New Wave Pro running today. They're in uh, Crawfordsville, Indiana, so you can make your way there. I think that about Terre Haute, Indiana, my mistake. So if you're in Terre Haute or the surrounding area, you got that. Also want to Wish my grandmother a happy 95th birthday tomorrow. She's having a party today celebrating that, so happy birthday to her. But without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest today, someone I have anticipated having on the show for quite a while, someone I always look forward to seeing at a show because he is very, very positive, gives off great positive energy whenever I've been around him. Matt Ecstatic, welcome to Turnbuckle Turmoil. It's been a while in the making, but I'm glad you're here now. Yes, you know what? Thank you for having me on Turnbuckle Turmoil. You know, we've been, you know, I think we have talked about it a couple times about me being on the show, but you know, the puzzle pieces just weren't wasn't fitting. But now, finally, we're, you know, I'm on the show and I'm I'm excited. I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to talk some wrestling. Ready to talk some background stuff, whatever you want. And it's uh, a. <clears throat> It's actually really nice talking to you after for, after so long. I think it's been a couple of years since we've actually like uh, seen face to face. I think so. I believe the last time was at a Project Forty Two show, if I remember correctly. Oh yes, yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, that, that definitely have to be a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, as you probably are aware. We have a traditional first-timer question when it's a guest's first time with us. What led to you getting into the business of pro wrestling? Uh, Sorry, could you repeat that? I kind of cut out a little bit. Uh, What led to you getting into the business of professional wrestling? Uh, uh, The typical question for a first-timer. Yeah, um, it's actually really funny. it's uh, it all started obviously everybody watches wrestling and they're like oh I want to become a wrestler because I think it's so cool but um, it's it's pretty much the same story you know I was watching wrestling with my dad he had me on his lap and it was just something I was really captivated by as at a young age of like three three four years old and um, throughout the years as I was growing up I just consistently watched it on you know on TV SmackDown Raw and uh wcw and all you know ecw and whatever i could get on 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 the internet and uh and then i just uh there was a school opening up in uh in uh in surrey so then i just i just said you know it's it's about time i i do this because you know better better now than ever so 
Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty much a story. Typical little, typical story as everybody normally gets in. Like nobody really like. I didn't have any family who wasn't wrestling. It was just me with a passion, and I just wanted to do it. <laughs> Out there in the Surrey area, it was part of the old Vancouver territory, which was ran by uh, the Tomko family. And they had a long storied history in professional wrestling. When you entered the business, were you kind of aware of the history of Vancouver wrestling, or was it something that was kind of new to you as you got into the business? Honestly, I didn't even know there was professional wrestling in Vancouver until I actually uh, started Googling uh, local like I would just uh, Google local pro wrestling Vancouver or Surrey. And then um, the two companies that showed up was all-star wrestling and ECCW. And once I found out about that, I was like, okay, now things can kind of start getting roll, you know, start rolling. I was only 13, 14 at the time when I, when I found this out. Right. So uh, I wasn't old enough to be a part of it, but the fact that I found it and that, there was a possibility of me joining was, was incredible. So, and uh, as for the history of, uh, of all-star and, and, you know, uh, the Tomco's owning it, I don't know uh, exclusive details. I just know like little bits and pieces. Um, Not very much of a historian. If you want to ask about the, you know, the history of pro wrestling all over Canada, the best person to ask would be Vance Nevada. That is probably very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, one of the things that sets you apart from most people in the industry, uh, we've had a few like you on the show, but they're rare. It's an exclusive group. You got the opportunity to go over to India and teach professional wrestling to a group of students there that was trying to get pro wrestling in India started more or less. What was it like being in India and teaching professional wrestling to a group of people that didn't really have pro wrestling in their country at that point? Well, it's 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 a matter of uh, there wasn't. It's not that they had no access to professional wrestling. It's just that India is such a, a massive country. It's a big, big country, as we all know, right? And uh, with that being said, the limitations of wrestling were a factor. You know, there was not, like, you could travel throughout the entire, uh, you could uh, travel throughout entire, like, the entire uh, state of Canada, country of Canada, you can travel all over the U.S., and there's always going to be a wrestling promotion. Like, if I go from B.C. to Alberta to Saskatchewan, there's always going to be a promotion. If I go from Portland to California to Tijuana, there's always going to be a promotion. But if you go from, uh, from Punjab, Jalander to Amistar, there may not be a promotion in Amistar, but there's one in Jalander. And then if you go to New Delhi, there might not be a promotion there, but there's one in Jalander. So, and that, you know, that's a big factor in, within the, the professional wrestling game in India. But they did have it. Uh, it was just the means of wanting to do it, and that was through uh, CWE, Continental Wrestling Entertainment, with uh, the great Kali, who is the owner, promoter, runner, booker, uh, 
to school owner, you know, there's so many different titles that he has down there. But uh, CWE was the, it was the main professional wrestling school down in India, and there was hundreds and hundreds of students coming from all over India itself, traveling, leaving their families just to train. Now, getting the opportunity to teach uh, anywhere, really, you have to uh, really know what you're doing, and you have to have enough experience to be able to teach mm-hmm. as far as being a credible teacher in wrestling. Yeah. I know that uh, you've been around for a few years at that point. You had a very, very good reputation, but how do mm-hmm. you get onto the radar for CWE as someone to bring over from across the world to teach these guys? Well, so when I got picked, uh, essentially what it was, was it was just a, we had booked uh, Jinder Mahal for one of the shows, and uh, he was saying that uh, his cousin, Kali, was looking for a trainer, and um, you know, um, at that time, I was really, I was passionate. I was, I was already training and helping train a couple people locally. And, um, but with that, with that being said, I, I, I didn't, uh, it was one of those things where you have to really think about like what's best for you. Yeah, I was, I had some, I had training experience. I had trained people. I had been helping train people. But I think it's also the fact that even though I was wrestling, I was still wrestling and I was training and helping develop these, these students, I was also training myself. Like I didn't just finish my, my training and then just be a pro wrestler. I continued training for like four years straight after I, my initial training before you graduate and start working shows. So, like, with that, so that's just four years of constantly training, constantly training, and helping other people as I was always the practice dummy. So, therefore, being the guy taking and giving, so posting, not posting, giving moves, taking moves, because to, get, to, take, to give, you have to take, right? You can't just give everybody everything and not take anything. So, you've got to give and take. And that's how it was for, like, four years until that opportunity popped up. So... I took a leap of faith and with all the experience I had, and that's not just the training experience. That's with the, you know, the wrestling around, you know, WCWC, SCW, All-Star, ECCW, Big Big West, all the promotions, right? That's all compiled uh, knowledge and education within professional wrestling. And it's up to you whether you take it as a constructive criticism or not and apply it and then make that part of your curriculum. So th- that's what made me want to take that opportunity was the fact that I felt I was ready, which uh, a lot of people had said I was, and I took that criticism and I made a decision to to go to India. But kind of kind of got sidetracked. Um, as for whoever Kali picks, it's it's based off of uh, based off your look, based off of your experience, you know, your knowledge, what you've done over the last five years, if, it's, um, if you've just stayed in the same promotion locally uh, for the last five years, or you've been traveling and you've been, you know, uh, you know pounding the pavement and making a name for yourself. That's another, that's another thing, because Kali likes reputation, and reputation goes a long way, especially if, um, if you're developing his students, especially when there's hundreds, hundreds of students and not only me, 
but uh, you, you, you know Ethan HD. He was also a coach, and he was after me. I recommended him, and cause I recommended him because he sent in his information, and then I told Collie, I'm like, yeah, I think this guy's a really good fit. Um, he knows a lot. He's had tryouts. He's traveled. He's been on TV. He's produced. He's ran his own shows. Like, he, uh, Ethan HD is the, the, the round robin of, of education and uh, – experience in, in professional wrestling so it was it was fantastic that he got an opportunity too but i think that's what they're looking for in coaches people with knowledge experience dedication passion and just to uh you know um to help develop you know we're not just in this for ourselves we're in this to help other people grow into the sport as you know absolutely i don't know if you are aware of it or not but I once sat in a pizza parlor on Bourbon Street in New Orleans talking with Facade about you, Ethan HD, and he having been the coaches for the CWE school in India. Yep, yep, Facade, yeah. He was uh he went after Ethan actually. Yes. Yeah, I just happened to run into him down there and we struck up the conversation and I was telling him uh that you and Ethan had coached and a little bit I knew of the situation as he was getting ready to go, I believe, that next week. Yeah. Now, one of the things that professional wrestling in 2021, at least here in the States, I think we'll be seeing a lot of just because of the world events we're still trying to deal with right now, I think we'll see a lot of outdoor venues being utilized for the promotions that are still able to run across the United States. Outdoor shows have always been a thing, but they present sometimes different challenges than if you are indoors at a venue. I know you've probably had your share of outdoor shows. What's your opinion on having wrestling outdoors versus indoors? I actually, I love the outdoor shows, to be honest. They're, uh, they're just, they're just fun. You get a good environment. You get fresh air. You're not breathing in this, you know, you're not just breathing the same air outside. You can have numerous amount of people. It's just a more, I don't know. You're just not stuck in a building. Like I like, don't get me wrong. I love wrestling in venues. I love like the Cloverdale venue, every venue I've wrestled in, the Salem Armory, you know, uh, Lake City Bowl. I love the venues I've wrestled in, but there's just something about the atmosphere of wrestling outside that uh, it just kind of, as I said, it just changes the overall overall atmosphere of the show. And I think it also brings a little bit of joy to people because they're not just stuck inside, right? They're outside and they're watching something that that they truly love and entertains them but uh as for the difference you know to me it doesn't really matter whether i wrestle outside inside you know i've had even like locker rooms i've had locker rooms that were inside outside i haven't had a locker room i've had a tent as a locker room you know what i mean at that you know there's a point where you just kind of roll with the punches (laughs) absolutely i'm right there with you on that One of the things that I think has helped a lot of independent wrestlers in the last year sort of survive is 
merchandising. Uh, we've seen a lot of people, even if they can't be at live shows with fans, buying the merchandise. They've done mm-hmm. online sales and things of that nature. What yeah. do you think of the merchandising game aspect of professional wrestling? I think the merchandising game is a big part of your income, to be honest. And um, because let's, let's be real, the payouts you're getting aren't going to pay the bills. So you have to have a fine line of merchandise. And, um, you know, I, I, have, I have a bad merchandise track record. I can tell you that because I wasn't really into the merchandise. I didn't really care about making money. I was more so about uh, gaining that experience in wrestling and just moving forward and trying to make those, those dreams and passions a reality. But I think now people understand that merchandise sales and merch themse- itself is an important factor in professional wrestling. And it, uh, not only does it, um, <clears throat> not only is it increasing your income, which is what everybody wants, you know, we always want to make more money, but it shows that you are a, a good salesman. So therefore you're getting that, uh, that selling factor, which people don't even realize. Cause if you can, wa- if you can work someone into buying your t-shirt, then how can, then you should be able to work someone when you're selling an arm, uh, you know, a wrist lock or an arm drag or a suplex. So you're actually getting, you're actually doing some training without even knowing. Because if you can, as I said, if you can work someone to buy a, a t-shirt or two, then you're good at, you know, you're good at working and you can sell a product. Then you can sell yourself. So you're training yourself at the same time. But um, now I think everybody realizes that merchandise is you know, not only is it a moneymaker, it's, uh, it's a, a way of training. It's also a way of getting your name out there because people wear your merch. You know, there's a couple times I saw, you know, Fidel Bravo shirts on, Smack, you know, SmackDown or Raw. There's a couple times I saw some uh, PWA, some, you know, Eddie Osborne, Crofton, you know what I mean? You know, that word just kind of spreads through that merch. And you never know. You never know who sees it. And, you know, if uh, maybe if you sell enough T-shirts, you know someone's gonna you know drop the radar on you. <laughs> I definitely agree with you there. Uh, I have seen my own T-shirts pop up on Instagram feeds of the Women of Honor champion at ROH, and just this week, Larry D of Impact was putting up pictures of him working out in a Sign Guy T-shirt. So I definitely yeah, exactly. agree with you on that. Exactly, and it just makes you feel good, right, knowing that your T-shirt is not only being worn, but you, you see it being acknowledged. Absolutely, yeah. And when yeah. people see it and they ask, hey, where did you get that, it can only help you. Mm-hmm. Well, we're at the part of the show where we have a game we like to play. We call it Word Association. All throughout the names okay. are some people that you likely have come across in your career, and the first word or two that pops to mind is your answer. Are you prepared for some word association? Okay, sounds good, sounds good. All right, first name, Ethan HD. Oh, overall goat. Gorgeous Michelle Starr. Uh, save, savior of professional wrestling. Eric Wright. Eric Wright? Oh, the gentleman's gentleman, the man's man. I have fooled. Sorry, I, I didn't hear that last one. I have fooled Debashi. 
I it's I, uh, good guy. I, I haven't spent much time with him. The Zodiac. Yeah, that's uh. Uh, a man among a man among mystery, to me. Stuart Kemp. Stuart, oh, lo- lo- lovely, lovely gentleman. One of my one of my good friends. C.J. Edwards. C.J. Edwards. Oh, man can move. Man has the speed of Rey Mysterio. He's talented as hell. Jinder Mahal. Probably one of the best WWE champions to ever uh, run with the WWE title. Should have been longer. Christopher Rizek. Chris, oh, love Christopher Rizek. Uh, outstanding, phenomenal performer. Would wrestle him anytime. The final name, Vance Nevada. That's a historian. All right. Well, that wraps up word association. Oh, Matt, as you know, anyone that gets into pro wrestling for any length of time is going to encounter some type of injury at some point, be it minor ones that build up, be it a major one. But it's something that we all deal with. I know yep. you've had your share of injuries throughout your career. Can you tell us mm-hmm. some of the things that have happened to you that you had to battle injury-wise? Yeah, for sure. So, like, uh, everybody knows, you know, you you, you, know, you may blow a shoulder or pop a shoulder or, like, you know, strain a shoulder, strain a knee, twist your neck. But uh, the big ones are, you know, we've all had those. Uh, but the big one for me was when I fractured my neck in 2014, and uh, I just worked through. The, I just worked through it. I never went to the doctors, and a lot of people don't know that um, because I always kept it hush hush. Um, yeah, I fractured my neck in 2014 wrestling Nick Price doing a Spanish fly off the top. And um, with that injury, I was worried about going to the doctor and actually getting a diagnosis of what was wrong, even though I knew there was something wrong. Um, because of the pressures of pro wrestling and what you're told and, you know, what's burned in your brain is what I say. Um, and on, on that, on touching base on that, it's, you know, based off opportunity, if you're injured and you can't wrestle, there's someone else that's going to wrestle because you and I both know there's hundreds and thousands of professional wrestlers, men, women, and, um, there's always someone just behind you because it's just a giant lineup. There's someone behind me. There's someone behind that guy. There's someone behind the next guy. So um, when you're injured, you have two options. You either work through it or you don't. And I chose to work through it. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's landed me in a position where I may never be able to wrestle again. But that's just the stresses of uh, being a professional wrestler and working around around those injuries, but you're actually working with those injuries. Um, yeah, that's, the, that's one of the things that I really don't appreciate in professional wrestling is because you're always encouraged to just push through the pain and push through, you know, the, the agony and, 
you know, I know you have a concussion, but can you, you know, can you wrestle tonight? I don't need something big, but I just need you to wrestle. Well, it doesn't really matter if it's a two-minute match, a three-minute match, or, like, you're going in there for one suplex. If you get a, if your head gets wrong and you already have a concussion, you know, you don't know the, the, the long-lasting circumstances. And that's one thing I really, really hate is because they just, they grind it into you and burn it into your brain that uh, if, if you're injured, you just work through it. It's kind of like um, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. You know, you know, if you ain't first, you're last. So, so pretty much if you don't work through your injury, you're going to be last and you're going to be pushed aside and someone else is going to check, is going to take your place. So that's why a lot of guys are pushing and working through injuries and just kind of fabing it. And, you know, promoter A will be like, hey, you know, are you, are you good to go? And you're going to, deep down, you know, you're not, but you're going to be like, all right, let's suck it up. Let's go another round. I did it. I did it. I did it for four years before I went to the doctor. That's when I found out I fractured my neck when I went to the doctor four years later and I was getting neurological tests, you know, making sure my, you know, my nerves are good, but you know, they're not. So, so I learned the hard way and I'm hoping that, um, in the new world of professional wrestling, when pro wrestling starts up again, like I know that in the States it's start, it's slowly getting coming back, but in Canada, there's no wrestling, but I'm just hoping that that mentality changes not only for the workers, but the promoters and the bookers who are making these guys work through their injuries. Because at the end of the day, that booker, promoter, owner is not going to pay your medical bills. And those $20, $60 payouts you get ain't going to pay for anything but the gas home and a, a burger from McDonald's. I was lucky in that I once had three separate brain injuries in a single match, but I was physically stopped by the promoter and the guy that broke me into the business. So I was fortunate that way that they stopped me from continuing, even though I insisted I was fine. Yeah. You brought up concussions, which is a very, very common injury in wrestling. And on the national company level, they have medical staffs where, if it looks like someone's concussed, they send out doctors now. They stop things. They uh, check them out. Uh, they'll stop mm-hmm. a match if it looks like there is a concussion. They have protocols to follow. But on the independent level, we do not have that. Do nope. you think that at the independent level, there should be some sort of uh, protocol among the promoters as far as concussions go? Do you think that there's a way that they can help with the concussion problem, or do you think it is always going to fall down to the individual promoter to protect themselves if there is a concussion? So there's there's two ways to look at this, because a promoter is never going to pay, unless, unless, as you said, unless it's a high-end promotion, but you're talking about independent professional wrestling, so a little bit on the lower scale. I don't think a promoter is going to go out of their way to pay for that, to pay for that professional staff to be there uh, if someone were to suffer a concussion because not every show someone gets injured. Injuries are unpredictable. It could happen any time. Like, you could be giving someone a suplex and all of a sudden you just, you black out. 
you don't know why you blacked out, but you just did. And what if you don't have staff? What if you do not have that medical staff there, right? Injuries are unpredictable. That's why they're called, most of the injuries are called accidents. You know, it was an accident that happened because we didn't know it was going to happen. You're not planning for it. Um, So I don't think the money would be forked out every show with an unpredictable injury rate. But what I do think is that when there is a sign of injury, uh, which we all know, the the sign of a concussion is dazed and confused, so the moment, uh, you know, a promoter or the ref sees that, they should just call the match. Uh, uh, like, who cares about, you know, all oh, the matches got to go on, brother. You only got to get those ticket sales. No, it, the person who is injured, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be a broken finger. It could be a, a concussion. It could be a, a torn ligament. It could be anything. You end that match because, you're, because we're programmed and we are, we are essentially programmed to work through it. That's how we're programmed. That's how I was programmed. That's how everybody was. You get hurt in a match, you go through with it. That's how it is. But with the fact that injuries are so, are so especially head injuries, as we're talking about concussions, since those are the ones that are more, than, and more likely to happen than any of them, those need to be taken into consideration and taken right away. And it needs to be on the, the, the referee, the promoter, the promoter or booker should be like, Hey, listen, if they, if any of them are injured, you need to like pull, call the match. I don't care. And that's called being professional. And that's taking in consideration of your workers that they matter more than a five minute match that you want to produce because you're worried about the ticket sales that you've sold to these fans. The fans are going to be fine with the match being over if two guys or one guy's injured. They're not thinking about um, – the promoter is thinking about the, 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 sh- uh, the, uh, the production. They're thinking about the company itself and not the guys in the ring. Um, I just hope that that's something that will be taken care of in the future, right? Um, but uh, then again, as I said, there's different outlooks because um, you can refuse to ha- not have – because the referee will obviously go up to you and be like, hey, are you okay? Do you want to end the match? Most of the time, we're going to say, yeah, we're good. We'll continue. And then we go to the back and, and complain about it. So it really has to be uh, stern and the law has to be laid down like, okay, well, if you're concussed, we need to stop you from wrestling, take you to the back and get you examined. It's, happen- it, it's happened to me. It's happened to many people. I got, when I fractured my neck, I also was concussed because I landed directly on the top of my head. And you could tell in the match, you can see the moment, I, the moment I have that concussion because I'm dazed and confused. I don't know where I am. I blacked out. So the ref should have just called the match right there instead of having me finish the match, right? But the reason why is because I said I'm good and I can continue. So that was on me, right? So there's a lot of different factors when you're, uh, when you're asking that question. But I think that promoters, bookers, owners need to start taking in, into uh, real consideration about the protection of their workers when it comes to, like, injuries and concussions. I agree with you 100%. And as a referee, I have stopped a few matches in my day when I noticed that there was a concussion problem. And my own personal theory on that is it is a professional courtesy to the wrestler and a personal favor to the wrestler's family. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that a lot of people in wrestling have been doing in the last year or so since a lot of places have 
had shutdowns. A lot of places are kind of slow on live events. Is getting new wrestling gear. A lot of people have been changing up the looks. They've gotten new gear in anticipation of being able to go back in front of fans with a more updated and more fresh look. I know you've Mm -hmm. gone out there with a lot of different types of wrestling gear in your career. (laughs) What would you say has been your favorite set of gear so far? So uh, I, when I first started, I had the classic pleather shorts, just like Rey Mysterio did back in the day. Oh, he still has his pleather, pleather pants, but back in the day, you know, I had the pleather, pleather shorts and the kick pads, and then uh, there's just a time where you just feel like you need to transition, you need to try something new, but my favorite pair of gear right now is my current pair of gear that I've wore maybe like twice before the pandemic happened, and it's my uh, purple-silver Star Wars gear. <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite pair of gear. Um, unfortunately, I've only worn it a couple times, and I, and you haven't even seen it, which is like I always love when uh, you know when when the guys and the girls in the back are like, "Oh, you got some new gear," or even the fans, right? Because it just makes you you know it makes you feel appreciated that like your your effort is being acknowledged. Absolutely. I hope you put that gear on this coming Tuesday for May the fourth. Oh, yes, I will be wearing that because May the 4th be with you. Exactly. That's all classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, my co-host QT Vokes is standing by, and I know QT has questions as well, so I'm going to pass you over to him. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, thank you, Sangai. Hello, Mr. Ecstatic. Hello, hello. How's it going? Oh, it's going very good. Mr. Ecstatic, how often had you listened to this show and and some of our guests before you came on? Have you heard some um, of I'm, our broadcasts? Yes, I've listened to a couple of them. Obviously, I'm not religiously stuck on the shows. Uh, you know, everybody has things they're doing, but I have tuned into a couple of the shows. And uh, I'm, I was actually curious to the listen to the Michelle Star one, which I didn't know happened. So I will be listening to that one probably in the next couple of days. Oh, okay. I, I think you will find that we asked Michelle Starr the, uh, I, I'd say, some uh, probing questions. Probing, mm-hmm. yes, and existential questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all well, right, Mr. you know. <laughs> he's, he, he's, Michelle, you know, Michelle Starr is a, very, a, a, a character in his own. You know that. Uh, yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's, he's an icon class. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm sure I'm probably saying that word wrong, but a rebel in icon class, kind of like yeah. Pee Wee Herman. Yes. How do I like Pee Wee Herman? No, yeah, or, I'm I'm oh, saying he he is he has Pee Wee Herman like uh, like characteristics. Oh, oh, very quirky. Yes, yes. Okay, I can see it. I can see it. Do you think uh, he probably could also? Could have held his own if he walked into that biker bar and shushed them and went in and say he was trying to use the phone. You think he he would have survived like <laughs> Pee Wee Herman? <laughs> yeah, I think he'd survive out of pure fear that everybody would look at him and be like, "What is this man doing in a bar dressed in pink in pink tights?" <laughs> oh, okay. And I think I think they'd be scared of him for the fact that he has the biggest balls to go into the bar to use the phone in pink gear. You know what I'm saying? That's true. 
I mean, some <laughs> some people they get nervous when they go into the bar and they see a long line of Harley Davidson motorcycles parked out front. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, no, that's understandable. You know, you never know who's associated with who, right? Yeah, uh, that's true. Yes, I think that, <laughs> I think that gang that surrounded Pee Wee Herman, I believe they were called the Satan's Accountants, if I'm correct. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. That's too funny. Well, Mister Ecstatic, global warming has been on the mind of many people. Yep. These yep. people run the garment from politician, politicians, environmentalists, and political activists, and even people who lead their bowling league teams. My yeah. question is, to raise awareness among wrestlers about global warming, would you yourself agree to a stipulation match where infrared heat lamps are placed above the ring so the temperature in the ring would be warmer than the wrestling venue itself. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like <laughs> I'm already dying out there when I'm already dying out there when I'm, uh, when I'm already wrestling, it's already hot. Um, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I'd probably die of heat exhaustion or at least pass out. But yeah, I, I definitely would if you're trying to bring attention to, you know, to, to Professor Russell's about global warming. But I think the world should already be acknowledging global warming as is. <laughs> like, you see the, the way the weather changes, the temperatures, the drops, the random snow, and, you know, the, like, what's, like, it should already be a, a, a thing. Everybody should already be paying attention to it. But, yeah, definitely throw some, hey, throw some infrareds above the ring, I'll wrestle sign guy. We'll have a good match. Let's go. Aha! An infrared <laughs> match with sign guy. Okay, that's a... Yeah. Boy, I'm, I'm we'll going to... Uh, <laughs> I'll do a poll we'll, and see if, if the fans want this. Throw some other, throw some other wrestlers in there, too, in the, in the poll. Um, yeah, no, it will be sweaty. But it will definitely bring attention because that's like... That's like extre- that's putting it to the extreme. Like that we do overheat in there, but throw some extra heat in there, and we'll. Uh, it's kind of like wrestling on a hot day on the out, uh, you know, on the outside of a, in the outside venue. You know that sun beating down on you on that canvas is just hot. Uh, yes, yes, it can get hot in Idaho too. Oh yes, Idaho. Okay. Well, let's say that I uh, uh, do some inquiries. And uh, Tex Thompson of Blue Collar Wrestling does not want to do uh, a match between you and Sign Guy, an infrared heat lamp match. That's out. However, Tex Thompson agrees to have both you and Sign Guy wrestle in, um, let's say, uh, collegiate uh, rubber workout suits. Would you agree to that? (laughs) A rubber workout suit match with Sign Guy. Oh, of course. Of course. I, 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 of course, why not? I'll, I'll, I'll wrestle him in a rubber suit and a wig if, if I have to. You know, it's not the first time I've been asked to wear a couple of different things. I once uh, had a uh, bikini match uh, down in uh, down here in Vancouver for Glam Slam. Yeah, the whole objective of the match was to rip off the bikini, and the final two had to. It, it was like a, an elimination battle royal type. So you got to rip the bikini off the top the top half. 
and then get chucked over the top. You know how it goes. You know, bikini gets ripped off. You grab your, you know, you grab your chest. The guy tosses you out. Well, the, then the final two are having just a regular match, win by pinfall or submission. So, wouldn't be the first time I've been asked to wear something different. <laughs> oh my God, that, uh, that sounds kind of like a gold dust moment. I still have that gear with me. So if uh, you want a bikini match down there, BC Dub, let me know. Wow, <laughs> that sounds like a. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a gold dust moment. Oh yes, oh yes, definitely okay. gold dust. Holy smokes! Okay, well, <laughs> Mister Matt, I saw yeah. your YouTube video entitled "Matt Ecstatic versus Vance Nevada Eight Bit Nintendo Brawl Battle World '88." Yep. 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 My question is. Did this take place for Rickshaw Wrestling in Vancouver, British Columbia? Yes, it did. Yeah, it was, it was at the Rickshaw. Yes, it was. Oh. Can yeah. you recall who the promoter was at the time? It, uh, uh, it's uh, Steve Cobra Kai. Uh, Steve, I, he's on my – let me just pull up. His last name is very confusing to me. Oh, okay. Uh, Steve uh, Kajekovic. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So huh. if you've ever heard of Cobra Kai, who is um, Sin Bodhi's brother, yeah, so he is the, run, he is the co-promoter for uh, Rickshaw Wrestling with his a, uh, astounding girlfriend, Kate Kroll, who is uh, also known as Calamity Kate. Calamity Kate. Would she have been the referee in this match? Uh, I believe... Uh, no, she was not the referee in the match. That was, uh, I forget her name. I haven't seen her in a really long time. I haven't seen her since wrestling, actually. But uh, that, she was not the referee in that match. The referee in that match was, uh, as I said, I forget her name, but she was actually Princess Peach. <laughs> yes, she was dressed yeah. like a, a, a kind of like a, a satin peach, and she had long golden hair. Golden yes. flowing hair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. that was a good match. Brother versus brother. And then, uh, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, Mario got the win. <laughs> well, Mr. Matt, before this match, had you yourself yeah. played a lot of Super Mario videos? Not before the match, but it, it said, like, before, like, before even wrestling, I love, like, I played video games. Like, I'm a religious video game fanatic. Maybe not as much as I used to be because, you know, you grow up and you start living your own life. But even, like, I played 8-Bit Mario. I, I even have an int- uh, a Nintendo uh, just sitting here that has 8-Bit Mario on it. Eight, Super, Super Mario 1, 2, 3, all of it. So not necessarily watch it before the match but definitely have played, you know, over the years. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Ecstatic, the subject of Super Mario has even come up, even came up in some of the Beastie Boys videos and songs. Were you a big fan of the Beastie Boys? Um, so when it comes to music, actually, a lot of people give me a hard time with this with, when it comes to music, because I don't necessarily know artists. Um, I kind of just listen. I kind of just vibe out and listen to the music. And if I like it, I like it. There's definitely some Beastie Boys tracks out there that I do like. 
probably couldn't name them off the top of my head, but there is definitely some tracks out there that I do like. All right. Yeah. Have you ever used any Beastie Boys music like Fight for Your Right to Party and Shake Your Rump as entrance music? No, I haven't. I no, I haven't. But the fight for your right to party, my uh, my good friend Toga Boy, he used it, and he used it his entire career because that guy's a party animal. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, yeah, party yeah. animal. Toga, okay. Yeah, Toga Boy. Toga Boy used the fight to your right to party. <laughs> Toga Boy. Wow. All right. Wow. <laughs> Was are there any truths to the rumors? from my wrestling sources out of Shelton, Washington, that if Toga Boy had, could time travel uh, back 30 years, that he would have been mm-hmm. used in the movie Animal House with the Toga scene oh, with yeah. John Belushi. Oh, yeah, One, 100%. He would, he would be the guy, he, 100%. He would be the guy who would you know, wake up extra early, knock on the doors and say, let's party, it's time, let's go. Oh, okay. <laughs> He would be the one to start the toga chant. Let's just say that. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. okay. Toga. Would he toga. be the one? In, would he be the one in the basement when Otis Day and the Knights were doing, uh, th- doing their song, and he would yell "Gator," and everyone would uh, uh, flop on the floor and flop around like a gator? Would he be that person? Yeah. Oh yeah, he'd be. He'd be chief. He'd be the one in charge. <laughs> oh my god oh, okay. I gotta watch that one later I gotta watch that one later Well Mr. Matt At the 3 minutes and 47 mark Of your video In that 8 bit Nintendo brawl uh, Prior to the match Beginning be, to, to the warm ups You did a backflip This is at the 3 minute and 47 mark Off the second turnbuckle and if you freeze yeah. the video at this moment, you are about six feet off the mat, and your back is past the parallel plane of the mat, meaning you have about 100 to full circle while Vance Nevada looks on. My question is, do you remember this pre-match flip you did off the second turnbuckle? I, I do. Yeah, normally I would do the, the, the backflip just during my entrance. Oh, okay. That's a good, boy, yeah. yeah, you had some height there. Boy, I tell you, that's... I, I, <laughs> thank I, you, thank I, you. <laughs> I, I encourage all our listeners today to freeze your video at the 3 minute and 47 second mark, and you, you are uh, just past parallel to the mat. And it's like a, a golden eagle in flight. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you, thank you. You know, I try to do. Uh, I try to get as high as I can. So uh, I do remember it though. So that's good that I remember that. <laughs> okay. Well, Mister Matt, at the four minute and fifty five second mark of the match, after Vance had temporarily put you down with a low blow. The referee started to help Vance out of his Super Mario clothes. Mm-hmm. As he took off his pants, he showed the crowd his wrestling trunks that turned out to be briefs, cheetah briefs. Yeah. These briefs look like the ones that Glenn Clag- Quagmire wears on the animated sitcom <laughs> Family Guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they My do. My question yeah. is... 
is Glenn <laughs> Quagmire one of your favorite Family Guy characters? Oh, for sure. How do you not? How do you not like Quagmire? He's like. <laughs> How do you not like Quagmire? He's like, he's the quirkiest next door neighbor who's the biggest pervert, but yet still is one of the most lovable guys on the show. Well, pervert, there's that old man that, that makes passes as, at Chris when he delivers oh, yeah, his yeah. newspapers. The yeah, but he's, the perv. He's, yeah, her, her, Herbert the pervert. But he's also, not in the sh- <laughs> he's also not in the show exclusively as Quagmire is. So if you were to switch their roles... I would be saying the exact same thing, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit more descriptive when it comes to Herbert the pervert being the fact that he's always trying to go after his next door neighbor Chris, and you know, you know, you only, there's only a couple, uh, you know, episodes where you actually get to see a lot, but yeah, no, those tights matched exactly Quagmire's tights. Funny story though, funny story, he wasn't supposed to get undressed. Vance was not supposed to get undressed. He was supposed to stay in his Mario costume, but. He told me before the match, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to be taking this off. And uh, I'm like, whatever, I don't, you know, do what you got to do. Because he's like, I just want to get the heat for me. So I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. But he wasn't supposed to take it off. It was supposed to be strictly like Mario versus Luigi. But then, uh, uh, yeah, it turned, it, it turned into like Mario revealing himself to be Vance Nevada, you know? Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Okay. Wow, okay. Yes, uh, oh, you know, Quagmire has had many seminal moments on that show, including when May came over and casually asked him if he had any roofies. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Quagmire just uh, hands over a bag to her. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, yeah, Mr. Uh... Matt, during yes, this match... The fans were right up next to the ring, shoulder to shoulder, in a pre-COVID moment. If you fell between the ropes in this match, you would have hit the fans. Do yeah. you believe this may have been one of the last matches, even if we conquer COVID, that we will see the fans this close to the ring, shoulder to shoulder? Uh, I hope not. But uh, everything's so unpredictable right now. Um, very, there's a lot of flip-flopping with how they're handling COVID. And um, it's, it's, it's changing people's perspectives on how, um, on how to live, how to associate, how to be a part of certain, let's say, activities, such as, you know, uh, recently people have been going to the beaches and have been spreading out, right, instead of... Uh, uh, compacting it. So I would ho- like me personally, I would hope the fact that, you know, fans will get back to the way they used to be back, you know, shoulder to shoulder, you know, rallying, rally, spitting on each, not necessarily spitting on each other, but cheering so loud that, you know, a little bit of uh, saliva spits out onto the ring, you know, just people who love the business, love wrestling. I, I hope it goes back to it, but I don't think in reality it's going to go back to it because of, uh, how COVID has been and how people are kind of just tolerating it and they're just kind of like adapting, you know, but I think that's what's happening. Everybody's kind of just adapting to this new way of life. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not sure if you will see too many lumberjack uh, strap matches 
where the fans get up to the ring, get up to the ring and can whip the the person back into the ring, you know, with a I haven't I haven't had that experience with a lumberjack match before. It would they would only allow the other workers to be on the outside of the ring for said lumberjack match. Ah. Uh. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I've never had an actual, uh, never had fans participate in in, su- in such a thing. Obviously, I've had fans like shake hands and, and such such things like that, but never been a part of a lumberjack or strap match. Oh, okay. Well, if I can talk to Teps, Tex Thompson about that infrared heat lamp match with Sign Guy and you, maybe we could also throw in some uh, like three fans to administer. Oh yeah, yeah. As long as they're, uh, as long as they're not, as long as they don't hurt me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Mr. Matt, you whipped Vance Nevada off the ropes at the six minute and two second mark, and then you ex- executed a drop kick on him. And if you freeze the video at the six minute and two second mark, you must have been four and a half feet off the canvas and your boots must have hit him in the upper chest area. My Mm -hmm. question is, who would you say are the top three drop kickers you have seen from the Northwest and would Diafula Debashi be one of them? Um, so the top three, I've never seen Dobashi. I've only seen Dobashi work one time and that was for SCW, uh, in Bremerton only one time. And I did not see a drop kick. So unfortunately he cannot be in this, in this class of three for the top three drop kicks, but I can give you a list of the top three drop kicks. So, um, there would be Kyle Sebastian. Adam Ryder okay. and uh, Colin Cutler would be the top three drop kicks uh, that I've oh. ever exp- that I've ever experienced and or seen. Um, we were all taught to drop kick the face. You know what I mean? Uh, the higher the better. You know we each have jobs to do, uh, giving and or taking. So you know that if you are taking, there's sometimes you got to throw something up so you don't get a boot to the jaw. So that's how they were taught and. Uh, they by far throw the highest of drop kicks I've ever seen. Some as high as uh, some as high as six foot. Wow. Yeah, that, and that's no that's no exaggeration. That's 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 coming from from me. That's coming from uh, videos. If you if you have to go look them up, uh, that's coming from experience. And that's you know I've even hit my fair share of six footers with the drop kick. Sometimes you just gotta you know you just gotta jump as high as you can and hit those guys right in the dome. Yes. Wow. Okay. Gee whiz. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Matt, at the six minute and 32 second mark of the match, after you had already delivered one knife edge chop, you asked the crowd if they would like to see you deliver one more and they yelled yeah. yes. And you delivered it and they roared their approval. Mm-hmm. My question is, have you heard of a wrestler named Madman Pondo who is known for his knife edge chops? Madman Pondo. No, I have not. No, no. Uh, where would he be from? 
He is from uh, the Midwest, and he also wrestles some in the eastern uh, parts, getting over toward the eastern parts. Sign Guy has had uh, some experience with Madman Pondo, and he might be able to send you some film of him if you like, and if Sign Guy mm-hmm. has time. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Mad definitely send over. Some, yeah, definitely send over some uh, some some of those matches because I, I I feel like I've just only heard the name. You know, I've been so out of touch with pro, pro wrestling since since COVID, and uh, I haven't really been paying much attention to it. So, uh, but I have heard his name. Uh, I didn't know that he throws a mean knife edge chop, and I'd love to see these chops because I love seeing the reactions. I love seeing how. Uh, someone will take the chop and sell it. So I'd love, yeah, definitely send some of those, uh, send some of those over my way. Well, Mr. Matt, this tradition has since been disbanded, but in the past, when the Navy SEALs graduated from SEAL school, they had their trident pins slammed into their chests. These pins had like quarter inch spikes on them to anchor the tridents to their shirt. My question is, when the wrestlers would graduate from the great Kali school, would they receive a knife edge chop from Kali, the Navy SEAL equivalent of pinning on the trident? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, but not, so unfortunately not, but fortunate for them, no. Um, I think that tradition ha- should be uh, disbanded just for the simple fact that uh, I've gone through that. Like when I graduated professional wrestling school, I had the chops given to me, but there was only three chops. There was my two trainers and then uh, one of the veterans of uh, of the All Star Wrestling. Uh, of the All-Star Wrestling Company. Um, but there was this other time that I went to this other company. I was just backstage. I was just checking it out, you know, seeing a couple friends, and I was actually there on my birthday. I have never worked for... I've, I've worked for this company one time, and I wasn't a part of the show. I was simply there I, to see my friends work and say hi to everybody, you know, make some connections. And word got out that it was my birthday, and I had 20-some guys chop me some good... Uh, like some good, some dickheads, some ass, you know, some guys are really rough with it and some guys are really light with it. And, uh, yeah. So <clears throat> by the end of the 22nd chop, I was bleeding. My chest was welted and I wasn't even a part of the show and or on the roster of this, uh, this company. So wow. um, I do find that it needs to be disbanded or, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get disbanded, it should be done by the trainers and trainers only. Not let everybody run a train of chops on someone, just to you know, <clears throat> just for tradition. Um, because if they really cared about tradition, then they'd be following other traditions about pro wrestling and not creating their own. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I, I can see that. Okay. Okay. Well, Matt, uh, it's been great talking with you. I, I yeah, no, it's been sign guy, uh, if he is sign, would you be able to maybe, if you got time, get some uh, Madman Pondo uh, video to uh, Matt? Absolutely, I can do that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Matt, I'm going to turn it back over to sign guy. 
All right, awesome. I had a great time chatting with you. Oh, well, uh, the pleasure was all on this side of the yeah. table. Yes. <laughs> no, the Pointing that phrase from the, the movie Office Space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, no, it was a great time. I truly enjoyed it. Uh, you threw some good questions at me, threw some uh, 8-bit Mario questions, even went into detail with the match that I, uh, I need to rewatch because I, I obviously I remember the match itself, remember those points, but it's been a while since I've seen it, so thank you for bringing up the, the memory of that, and I'm hoping that uh, maybe one day we'll be able to, you know, be face-to-face and chat for real. <laughs> Hopefully all this oh, okay. stuff just kind of disperts and goes away. Well, maybe if you have that infrared heat lamp match with Sungai, I could be your, like, uh, valet. Hey, there you go. Hey, there you go. Let's yes. do it up. Let's do it up. I'll even wear oh, that okay. rubber suit. Our wrestling rubber suit, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, back to you, son guy. Thank you, QT. Well, Matt, right away I need to inform you. I have heard from Diafula Debashi, and he would like to yeah. remind you that there was a match in Portland where you teamed with Bad Blood and wrestled Gregor Petrov and Diafula Debashi in a tag match. I've never wrestled with... I've never teamed with Bad Blood before. I don't think this has ever happened. Which company? Uh, it was not really for a company. It was um, Petrov's kind of one-off show that he did. Um, the boss, he's been hitting the head a lot, so he might be misremembering. Yeah, he's misremembering because I've only seen Dobashi at two shows. And that was <clears throat> SCW ran by Ron Von Hess. Uh, that was a couple. That was in twenty. That was in twenty seventeen, after I got back from Japan, and then I saw Dobashi at I believe it was the twenty twenty eighteen. I want to say the twenty no the twenty seventeen. Uh, Christmas, what is it, the the seasons, like the Christmas um, special. It was like the 24-hour charity event WCWC had run, and I believe Dobashi showed up for a couple shows, and that was the only couple times I've seen him. We've chatted during those times, but never really, never really chatted, never really um, had a sit-down chat, you know, never really got to learn who we really were, uh, you know, never got to have that connection, I, I, I would say. I will let him know he is misrecalling that, but yeah, yeah, he had... I've, yeah, I've I've only met and I've only met Bad Blood a handful of times. Uh, once, you know, once when I was when I was fresh breaking in, and then a couple more times. I know that we have talked about coming down to uh, to, uh, to Blue Collar, but it, it just never was in the in the cards, you know. Totally get that. Well, we're down to the final moments of the show, so I want to give you ample time. And if there's Mm -hmm. anything you would like to say to the listeners, plug and promote anything and everything you would like, floor is all yours. Okay, well, you know what? Uh, Sign Guy, thank you very much for having me on the show. I love doing podcasts. Uh, I have podcast interview. Uh, whatever, whatever it may be, it could, you know, I love doing them. I love sharing my story. Um, 
there's really not much to say. Uh, wrestling's at a, at a pause right now. But if you'd like to stay in touch, I have social media. It's all the same. It's Matt underscore ecstatic. Uh, that goes for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Same, same handles for all social media. And um, I'm just hoping that uh, professional wrestling changes for the better when it uh, rises again, you know, from the flames of uh, the coronavirus, as we all know, because it definitely has done an impact. Um, and, uh, I know I'm not, you know, you had, uh, introduced me very, very respectfully and politely, but there's a lot of people out there who don't like me. And the reason why they don't like me is because I speak the truth and no one really likes the truth because they can't handle it. And I'm just hoping that, uh, everybody kind of looks through that because, you know, it, it, you really have to sit down with someone to really get to know who they are. You know, social media is such a big uh, game, and it does change because social media can be manipulated. You could read a status, and you can read it how you would read it, and your reaction is, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, maybe, it's a little bit false because you're not really getting the full story because you know how social media is. It changes... Uh, it changes things, it edits it, it manipulates it. So, you know, you introduced me in a very respectful way, and we've had a very good relationship. A lot of other people uh, that I've met throughout the eight years, ten years that I've been wrestling. Um, everybody, you know, we've all gotten along, but, you know, not everybody loves me. Not everybody, uh, you know, not everybody likes me, but that's okay because at the end of the day, uh, it's about me. At the end of the day, professional wrestling, my career is about me. It's not about anybody else. But with that being said, I hope that all the listeners, all the viewers enjoyed it. Uh, a little bit of a look at uh, Matt Ecstatic's history, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of uh, laughs, a little bit of, <laughs> you know, a little bit of word association. So hopefully we'll get to do this again because I truly had a great time. And, uh, yeah, so social media handles, Matt underscore Ecstatic. All the social media, t- Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, Sign Guy, thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. We definitely appreciate having you on here. You are definitely welcome back. And I can't speak for everyone else in the business, but I definitely love it. Every time I get to see you, you're always <laughs> a positive influence in the locker room. So yeah. I definitely look forward to the next time we cross paths. And I will send oh, you some sure. footage of Madman Pondo. Yes, please send me that chopping monster so I can see him. <laughs> Definitely I will do that. So awesome, awesome. Fans, if you get the chance when things open up some more, if Matt Ecstatic is going to be at a show, you should buy yourself a ticket and watch him. He is phenomenal at what he does, knows what he's doing in there, very entertaining. In the meantime, jump on the YouTubes and watch some of his matches. I think you will enjoy them immensely. And we will be back with you next week. Next Friday afternoon, we have Chili Willie out of the original ECW. And one week from today, we have Simply Delicious, one of the two women in the first ever Ring of Honor female match. So it should be very, very interesting to hear her story. So be back with us next week. Continue to be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. 